3: And welcome to White Wine Question Time, Something from the Cellar. Another mini episode of our Tuesday drop that sees us revisit some of the brilliant guests we've had on the show over the last four years. Hence, Something from the Cellar. Shorter shows, heaving, with vintage cuts from more than 200 guests, all served up not in their entirety, but in shot glass-sized portions as a little midweek treat. Some vintage cuts from some stellar cellar dwellers not easy to say when you've had a few trust me and this week we're winding things back all the way to the 90s with some stars that helped to shape the charts with their blistering pop careers and few people can claim to have had a bigger influence on Irish pop as well as the dawn of the talent shows that dominated the early noughties than Louis Walsh the man behind Boyzone, Westlife and countless number ones now I first met Louis when I was working on Smash Hits magazine in the mid 90s and we'd go on to work together for many years later on X Factor alongside Simon Cowell and Sharon Osborne. So we had a lot to catch up on and much to talk about. Here he is taking us back to how life was for him as a manager who was never afraid to hustle in the 90s. I wanted to talk to you about The time that we first came to know each other. It was the 90s, it trickled into the noughties. You were kind of front and center of everything that was going on in the charts. And you were, you know, the proverbial pig and shit, in as much as you were so happy to be in amongst all of it. Yeah, and
4: I too I had too much. I had too many acts of too many things. You were just having
3: too much fun. And I wonder when you look back at that time, we obviously live in very different times now. Everything's changed. You know, people don't buy CDs anymore. We stream, technology's changed everything. I
4: do. I still go to Tower Records and buy, and buy CDs and vinyl. Yeah. I can show you all the CDs around my house. I'll show you when we're
3: finished. But you know what I mean? Like the way we work, even the way we a and now, it's not about going to find bands uh, who are doing the live circuit. It's about data, followers. Everything's changed. TikTok. So I wonder, Yeah, Tiktok, you know, Tiktok that, is, yeah. is, is Radio One now, right? So yeah. I wonder if, if you could look back and sort of think about the bits of the 90s and 90s that you miss, that you think, I oh, wish we still work like that now. What are they and why was, was it such an important way of working for you?
4: Um, I think I miss the way A&R guys work. I mean, there's no Simon Carl or Colin Bower. We need new people like that. They don't exist. And if you ring a record company, all you get is voicemail. You cannot get a living person in there, you know. Mm-hmm. I miss all that and finding a song and bringing it in and talking to, like, Lucian Grange. I used to talk to Lucian Grange. Now he's running the world. I used to be able to run up to his office in Universe and have a great him. He was an amazing character, you know. Yeah. And I would play songs and we'd always have fun and he'd dance around the office. He'd dance and play guitar. This is Lucian who's now running Universal Worldwide.
3: He's probably uh, and, the most powerful man in
4: music. But I love Lucy. I've been touching him a little bit, you know. I text him now and again, just to say hello, because he loves talking about the old Polydor days and stuff. But um, so he I used to be able to
3: get Lucy in, like, on, on, you'd just be able to call and he'd pick up. The yeah. same with somebody like Rob Stringer. I mean, we live in an age now where you have to schedule a call. And, in, you know, I, I, do you miss the spontaneity and the connectivity that we used to have, despite having very yeah. few connections, you know, in terms of I the internet hate, back
4: then? I absolutely love it. And you mentioned Rob Stringer and you mentioned Lucian. They're still two of the biggest people in music, you know, but I just wish it could go back to the old where you call them up and say, I've got this, I've got that. Have a look, you know. Yeah. Uh, I have a great Rob Stringer story for you. Do you want to hear it?
3: Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's
4: going to hate this. So I was trying to say, this is a true story. Let's just it's set dumbest. this out,
3: right? Rob Stringer is the CEO of, of... Sony. Sony. And Lucien Grange is the CEO of, of Universal. Universal. And, they, and they're, rivals. they're rivals. They're rivals, but they are, they are it, really, in the music the industry friendly. in terms of the majors. Right? So, so Rob Stringer started out here in the UK. People might remember his wife, Julia Carling. Uh, he's now based in New York and is king of everything at Sony. Yeah.
4: So I'm trying to sell Westlife and I'm doing kind of showcases in the pod in Dublin, putting them on, getting the guy and a record, with, and nearly all the labels in. So I called Rob Stringer and I said, Rob, you missed out on Boys own, don't miss out on this. And I said, Simon Carl wants them, I want you to have a listen to them. He said, okay, I'll fly over and he flew over a few days later and he did the gig in the pod, right? And, uh, but, yeah, and It's I, an I said, Irish
3: nightclub, right? Which is where you used to showcase your bands.
4: It was the best night. And so Rob comes in, he sees the boys, they do the five songs, we meet and greet, do the whole thing, da, da 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 da. So then the driver takes him to the airport, right? The driver takes him to the airport. I know the driver. So I say, what did he, what did he think? What did he say? He said, oh, they're just another boy band just another boy. Band. He called the guy. He said, no, I came to Dublin, They're not wet. Just another boy. So every time I see Rob Streamers, just another boy band. They sold 50 million records. That's the true story. And that's what Dublin is like. And be careful of drivers. Don't say anything in front of them because they always tell us back. True story.
3: Another true story around uh, the formation of Westlife was the fact that, yes, you did have Simon Cowell very interested. Right. And I remember you calling me, going, he's in, he's in. I think he's in, I think he's in. But he took umbrage to one of, of the boys. I think it was Kian, wasn't it? And he said he's got to no, go. No,
4: Shane. Shane. Shane, Shane he, right? He came to Dublin. I had six guys originally. And three, so he told me, he said, darling, they're OK. You need to change four of them. Change four of them, and I'll come back and look them. I changed three of them. I couldn't change four because they were all like friends and like that. So I got rid of the three that I thought didn't have it. And I said, change he didn't like you. So I said, do what we're gonna do? We're gonna change your look. So we did we dyed his hair blonde. He was blonde. Seriously, I had auditions. I found Mark, no, I found Nikki and remember Brian McFadden? He was in yes. Westland. I found Brian McFadden and so Simon came back in. There were only three minutes into the set. He said, I'm signing them. This is amazing. I love them. Blah, blah, blah. We signed them. We had hits. And a few weeks later, he said to me, where did you find the little blonde guy? He's really great. I said, Simon, that's Shane who you said no to. You know, he says, no. I said, it's Shane. We dyed his hair blonde. You didn't know. You were wrong. So we laughed. He wasn't always right, but he was brilliant to work with. You know, he had a brilliant, he made everything happen for Westlife was really what,
3: so. uh, what you had with him and Westlife was his full attention, which is something he wouldn't be able to give anybody it. now. And when Simon puts his mind to something, he went out and you know, flying without wings was. I mean, the moment you played that to me, was like you are on every radio. It it, 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 did, it didn't just do radio Steve one; Matt, it did everything. A, it went everywhere. It was that was a global hit, and that changed. That was that was or, that was originally for
4: Stephen Gately, you know. I know. Yeah. But I, when Simon heard it, he says, I want, I want, and there was no stopping him. And he got the producer right away, Steve Mack, who's now writing... How, did you, how it, did
3: you tell it, Stephen that? Because you're managing both acts. Stephen, I'm taking this amazing song from you as a solo him,
4: artist. I told him and he, he was okay about it. Bloody that hell. was the good thing. I know him, but he was really okay about it.
3: When you think of the other, the other facets of life in the 90s music industry that you really wish were still a part of your everyday working life, what are they?
4: Well, I miss record shops. I miss yeah. HMV and Tower and all that. Even though we have a Tower in Dublin and I do go there. Um I miss all that. I miss Smash Hits, Katie. Yeah. It was really, I miss Top of the Pops. Oh do I. Miss, I miss you know the Saturday morning shows. I miss yeah. the, the midweek charts on the Tuesday. You know, I miss Smash Hits the poll party. Remember that? Oh yeah. So Michelle, Michelle Hockley. And remember, well, listen, it was a great time. We had great fun.
3: It was a time of great decadence as well. I mean, there's a of money swashing around. So make stuff happen uh, from, you know, the really fantastic to the utterly ridiculous.
4: Totally. And I mean, the charts, there was all kinds of music in the charts. Mm-hmm. You could have Oasis or Boys Over, Samantha Mumber, Girls Over going to be everything, you know. And It was a different time. Radio was different as well. Yeah. But, I, you know, I'm I'm prepared to move at the times. I do like a lot of the new music. I still buy music. I listen to the charts. You know, I know what's going on. I know all yeah. the tours and everything. I Listen, I'm an addict. I still read Billboard and Music Week and all that stuff, you know.
3: Do you? Well, oh, yeah. I, say, I say do you. I know you do because you live yeah. and breathe this business. I think there's still a part of you that is a music-loving teenager from a yeah. small sleepy town in Ireland that can't believe his luck.
4: Totally. And... Music was my escape when I was young. You know, I wasn't playing football. I didn't want, to, I wasn't into studying. I didn't want a normal life or a normal job. And music was my escape case. And I used to, you know, that was, I top of the pops on a Thursday,
3: 7.30. When you think about the people whose paths you've crossed uh, in, in the time that's passed since then, you know, we talked um, a minute ago about working with Mariah and Diana Ross and Whitney. Um, what are those moments where you stand there and you are that pop music loving teenager that can't quite believe he's in the room with people? I'm a
4: fan. I'm still a fan. Bowie and Elton are still two of my all-time heroes, you know, and I've met both of them and I love Elton, you know, Um, I have a signed picture of Bowie over there, you know, it's like, I'm still a fan. And they're all people, and they all love music. And I love the fact that a lot of them have longevity. They go on forever. Elton is like probably the greatest example of that. You know, he's yeah. still, he's still making music. He's still loving music. He's still touring. He's standing out everywhere. You know, there won't be anybody else like Elton John.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
3: Let me tell you, you don't get many Louis Walsh's to the pound these days either. Okay. Next on the tour of our 90s pop icons is an Aussie who was already a household name by the time she joined a famous daytime soap as a teenager that put her on the map here in the UK giving her the profile and popularity she needed to launch a pop career that saw her sell millions of records just like her sister. Now I know what you're thinking it's a minogue surely yes but fear not, you're not the only ones who get them confused. Even their family struggle to tell them apart sometimes. Here's Danny Minogue explaining how her son, Ethan, got Auntie Kylie confused with his mum before he could even talk.
5: There was an amazing moment where she came over to my house and uh, I said, oh, Ethan's just in his cupboard. You know, you can go and like have a look, see if he's awake. I haven't heard him on the baby monitor or anything, but he could just be lying there awake and so she goes in and he's awake and she starts talking to him hello you know how you doing and I walked in and just saw his face he's looking up at her like that is my mom's voice but you are not my like I don't um, you you don't (laughs) smell like my mom but you sound like my mom because we sound so alike even if we call our parents they can't tell us apart. they're like where are you, are you, what are you doing? And they're like, if I say, oh, well, I'm with Ethan here, they're like, okay, I'm not Danny. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: it's thing one, not thing two. <laughs>
5: <laughs> you are actually, now you say
3: that, you do sound so alike. You really do. Except when you sing. You sound very different when you sing.
5: For sure, for sure, which is why, you know, it's been fun when we have done duets and stuff. It blends well. Like always siblings blend well, but there's a very different, Tone there she has a much higher register than me there's like a harmonics that happens when you sing with siblings that you that you can't get any other way really interesting isn't it and just go for just to go back to the you know the the, the concert that you flew
3: in two days to London to perform in front of your parents Uh, what did they do and what was their reaction when they saw that you come out on stage with her
5: okay so the funniest thing was they From where they're sitting, like at the side up in this box, they see a girl with darker hair come around the back of this big stage thing and they know it's not Kylie and they're like, okay, who's that? And I start singing straight away and my dad nudges my mum and says, jeez, there's a girl on the stage that looks and sounds so much like Danny because they knew I'd just finished work days before. Right. So it played a trick in their head. And he's going, I wonder who this is. And my manager (laughs) and her husband are are standing right behind them, laughing so hard, (laughs) trying not to. Like when they looked around, like, does anyone know who this is? They're going, no, don't know, don't know who it is. (laughs) The audience from the front row had erupted. It was like the roof had come off. Still no clue. Still no clue, still <laughs> singing together, and they're going, Geez, well, gosh, she's a lot like Danny. But they just thought, you know, she'd chosen somebody to sing with her that was like me. Bless. It was about halfway through before they realized what was going on. And
6: Seriously.
5: <laughs> yeah. And then there was like ah a moment. And halfway through the song, we, we like, we both looked up. I don't know if we pointed, but we like, we looked right at them. And then we could see at that moment on their faces, okay, th- they know they've got it. It was the best.
3: How did you not cry in that moment? I would have just been a mess.
5: It was it was just this elation. Like after the show finished, like backstage, I had mates there from London and um, friends that we both know. And um, it was just, it was incredible. Because when I arrived... I had to get in without them seeing me. And so nobody in the the band or the dancers or anyone could know that I was there. So there was like a code name on the door, like somebody who's a guest performer. I can't even remember what name was on the door. So when anybody was talking on comms backstage, they wouldn't say, is Danny here? Or when are we doing the rehearsal with Danny? My name couldn't be mentioned anyway. So there were only a couple of people like the musical director, Kylie, the tour manager and her management that knew that I was there. It was like six people. Um, So it was crazy. Like when I went out on stage, um, even the dancers, nobody knew and I, had seen them at some of her other concerts. So then when I came backstage, they were like, what, like. (laughs)
3: Now, it doesn't get much more 90s than my final guests for this episode of Something from the Cellar. Here they are, in all their five-piece glory, it's Steps, sharing plenty from the minibar in the hotel room they dialled in from as they share some of their own highlights from the 90s, starting with the time that they toured with Britney Spears and H stowed away on a private jet.
6: So Faye, what's been your greatest hit moment? Oh, there's, there's a couple, um, but I think um, probably um, when we toured with Britney, her Hit Me Baby One More Time tour, which was her first tour, and for us to be a little old band, little uh, 90s pop group from uh, you know the UK, to then go on tour with Britney, um, that's when it really felt like wow, we've made it, we're actual pop stars now. It was quite a, a big, big moment. And then to be sort of hobnobbing with other people, you know, um, Justin Timberlake would come into the canteen because he was dating Britney at the time. We hung out with David Hasselhoff and some of NSYNC at some point. Um, it was all, awesome. and then we went over and did the um, Fox Teen Awards. Um, And J-Lo was there and uh, Steve Tyler was there. And, you know, it was just, it was a moment, um, I think, when it was like, pinch pinch yourself. We've actually, you know, we're there, we're doing it. We're actually amongst these people. We're part of this industry.
3: You had a proper tour bus by then as well, didn't you? Because I came out and interviewed you in Chicago on the Britney tour. And I remember you all being really giddy that you had an actual bus that wasn't a mini bus. See,
7: we, we didn't have really? hotels. We, we lived on it, didn't we, for three months. We, we toured America yeah. and Canada on that tour bus. That's, that's That was our touring hotel. Um, although H didn't join us on the tour bus. He was in Spears happy. in her <laughs> private jet. What? Oh, really? You it went on Britney's
1: know, private jet? You know what, the reason was initially that, I mean, I suffered dreadfully with sleep just hideously and we were expected to sleep on this bus it was a sleeper bus and i just oh my god it was and it was horrendous even for the p- people that could sleep it was horrendous wasn't it mm-hmm. so i made friends with britney and felicia her pa and rob her bodyguard and i traveled i ended up traveling a lot with britney on a jet with her mum and her sister
3: <laughs> sorry oh my
6: god what? <laughs>
3: Did you not try to get know. the rest of
6: them on? But... Uh, but yeah. No. No, it
1: It was so small. Uh,
7: but you know what? <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> not you know sorry. I but, no, it's it's OK. I think at the time, we were all a bit like, ooh, you know. But um, it's fine. And at the end of the day, we were having so much fun. And I remember being on that tour bus. We would perform in, you know, a state in America. And we'd literally get back on the tour bus have a few drinks and see some of the britney's dancers and things like that and then we would travel through the night sometimes to the next you know neighboring state or the next city and then we'd get up and sound check and see britney and catering and then get on stage and do it all over again so it, it was really memorable it was i think it was about what was three months wasn't it it was quite a, in my head it was three months <laughs> um, except h apart
3: from jetting around America with Brittany, Felicia, Rob, her personal bodyguard and her parent. Uh, What has been your greatest hit moment as a member of Steps?
1: Like Faye said, um, we've had so many incredible opportunities and memorable moments. I mean, I've got two, I'll say one briefly because that's up there for all of us. It was when all of our children joined us on stage on the last, Ah. which was just, you know, phenomenal. And uh, my second moment, uh, which I've, I've, I rarely mention, but it, it's so iconic to me. Um, I just remember it was Wembley Arena, and I remember uh, doing tragedy, and literally looking over to the to the right, and seeing Don French, Jennifer Saunders, Julie Walters, Victoria Wood, Celia Imory, Lenny Henry, Adrian Edmondson—literally my comedy heroes. Do you guys remember this? And they were all there, eating popcorn, and doing. Tragedy.
7: Just iconic. Do you know what? You're reeling all those names off, and I'm like, I'm just so glad that I'm in the band because everyone fills in the gaps. You know, like, you can't yeah, remember everything. And we all we all remember different memories. Getting changed, and and I had a knock
1: on the dressing room, and they said, Oh, we have got some visitors. I was like, I wasn't expecting anybody, and Judy
3: Walters and Victoria would have blagged their way backstage
1: <laughs> to come and see us. It was brilliant.
3: Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of White Wine Question Time, something from the cellar. There's going to be more of the same next week as we uncork more brilliant vintage episodes. And fear not, I'll be back on Friday with a brand new guest. In the meantime, you can listen to all of these episodes in full. They're sat waiting for your listening pleasure in our back catalogue. This week, it was Louis Walsh, Danny Minogue and Steps. Thanks for listening.
1: crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven
2: coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from rust This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all.